0: Hi there, I'm David Kelly, Chief Global Strategist here at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Welcome to Insights Now, a series of conversations designed to shine a light of clarity on the complex world of investing. In this, our first season, we're focusing on future trends, the themes, ideas and issues that will shape our future and the investment environment not just tomorrow but for decades to come. And so I'm very happy to be joined today by Mira Pandit, Global Market Strategist on our Market Insights team discuss demographic trends. Samir, so welcome to Insights Now.
1: Thanks for having me, David.
0: We spent a lot of time discussing near-term data. What happened in the stock market today? How many jobs were created last month? Why is it something that shifts so gradually, like demographics, important to the economy?
1: Demographics have a profound impact on our society in the long run, whether it's social attitudes, political attitudes, culture, or the economy. And in the short run, the economy is driven by what we call demand side factors, like how much households are spending, how much businesses are spending. But in the long run, it's really driven by what we call supply side factors. And in a nutshell, it boils down to two things, the growth in output per worker and the growth in the number of workers. Now, my colleague Jack Manley discussed in a recent podcast episode, uh, 21st century technology. How do we improve our tools? How do we become more productive? So I'll kind of cover what's that other component. How do we grow our workers? Because demographics is really the key determinant here. Are there enough workers domestically or who are migrating in to support all of the existing jobs out there, to build new businesses, or to innovate? Because if not, we run out of workers, and that's a drag on growth. Does the share of workers who are young or middle-aged outweigh those who are aging or elderly? Because if not, it's challenging to support the older population through social spending. Um, Are enough babies being born? Because if not, who's going to buy the strollers? And then the bikes, and then the first cars. Really having the right demographics keeps the economic engine going.
0: Okay, but demographics shift gradually over a number of years. Why are demographics relevant right now?
1: I think a lot of the trends that persisted before 2020 have been accelerated by COVID-19, and demographics are no different. Before this year, we were already experiencing dramatic shifts in demographics. The birth rate last year was one of the lowest ever, immigration essentially halved compared to three years ago. Uh, Baby boomers, the largest generation ever, are aging, and as they get older, sadly, deaths are rising each year. And the net effect of all this is that in 2019, the population grew at the slowest rate in a century. So we've been dealing with demographic challenges to begin with, and and that's been a long time coming. But with COVID-19, you know, right now we see that nearly 200,000 Americans have sadly died from this virus. So deaths are likely to increase more than expected this year. The birth rate could slow in the next couple of years if people no longer feel like it's the right time to have a baby given the pandemic. And immigration could slow further, as this year we've already seen more restrictions heaped on visas and on travel. So really, every stage of life has been affected by the pandemic amidst changes that were already underway. And the implications are pretty far ranging. I mean, there are impacts on growth, on employment, on consumption, on inflation, on health care, social spending, family policies. I mean, there's really few areas that demographic shifts over time won't touch.
0: Let's start at the beginning of the life cycle, then. Fewer babies are being born in the U.S. Will the effects of COVID-19 create a baby boom or a baby bust?
1: So fewer babies are being born in America than the past, that's true. We haven't seen this low level of births since the mid-1980s. So it's been a a dramatic slowdown um, steadily that's occurred over time. And this slowdown, you know, the reasons for it are pretty well documented you see millennial women who are now in their mid-20s to late 30s having fewer babies or having babies later. And I think a major driver of that over time is that women are investing more time in their careers. There are fertility advancements that allow women to have children later. But I also think there's the other side of this that really states the lack of options some parents have. Many millennial parents have experienced two severe recessions early on in their careers, both the financial crisis and this current recession. So maybe they had trouble finding a job during the last recession or they got laid off because of it. Maybe they've experienced worse earnings ever since. Maybe they're facing layoffs or pay cuts right now and perhaps all of this under the heavy burden of student debt. So those factors play into family planning significantly. Now, of course, babies born in 2020 would have mostly been conceived pre-pandemic, so maybe we won't see the pandemic effects this year. But in 2021, we could see a significant drop-off as parents delay starting or growing their families until the pandemic is over. And in fact, the Brookings Institute is calling for a baby bust with some pretty dramatic numbers behind it. So what they did is they looked at what happened during the financial crisis, what happened during the Spanish flu that occurred a hundred years ago. They did a bit of triangulating with uh, fertility trends recently. And they think that births could drop by 10% next year. I mean, that is a staggering number. And again, the, the main behavioral dynamic behind this is economic uncertainty. Like, if I don't have a job now, will I have a job when this baby's born? You know, how much could I have to eat into my savings? Could I lose my job in the meantime? Could I lose my home? And, and that really begs the question, too, after the pandemic then, could there be a you know pent-up demand in babies or some sort of post-pandemic baby boom? I don't think that's likely. And what we saw during the Spanish flu was that births did start to return to normal, but they didn't overshoot. So overall, births were lower. And I think part of this is biological restrictions, like fertility. I mean, that could force some parents to either have a child now or never and have fewer children overall. I mean, the answer in some cases could be never right now if parents are concerned not only about health in the middle of the pandemic, but also their livelihoods. And this is a a somewhat of a bleak thought, but think about social distancing. Think about all of, this is sad to say, but all of the couples that didn't meet this year and may not meet next year that would have had babies a few years down the line. And the net effect here is that boom in consumption that we saw during the baby boom of the 1950s and the 1960s when people were buying washing machines and swing sets and a new dining table and a new TV. That just probably won't happen this time around.
0: Okay, so I guess unemployment and economic uncertainty could deter couples from starting families. Well, what about adults who already have families?
1: Well, what, what couples are saying is that for heterosexual couples, both working full-time remotely, about half of male respondents say the responsibilities are shared about equally. But less than 30% of female respondents say that they feel the work is shared equally. And again, this is just households with two parents. What about single-parent households who bear the load completely? I mean, at least with dual-parent households, uh, they might have some choice where one parent could potentially leave their job. And what we've seen over time is that once you do leave your job, especially for women, you know, it's hard to come back, particularly in a tough job market. And when working mothers do return after having a few years off, maybe they take a pay cut. Maybe they set themselves back a few years in terms of promotions. And when we think about increasing representation, you know, particularly at senior levels of companies, you know, it takes years to build those talent pipelines, and we might have sprung a bit of a leak in this pipeline. And and by the way, it's not just about women. The black unemployment rate is nearly double the white employment, white unemployment rate. And in a year when diversity has become such a focus, the economic reality is that representation in the workplace has become even harder, and it's been shown that companies that are more diverse are better at innovating and better at problem solving. And across an entire economy, underutilizing available workers to their full potential is underusing one of our most vital resources and sapping and, and growth.
0: Since the early 1990s, we've seen incremental progress with women in the workplace. Now, all of a sudden, with this pandemic, some of this hard-fought progress is diminishing. Is this a temporary setback? Or a reversal of a trend.
1: I I hope it's not a reversal, but you are seeing working women face severe impacts from the COVID crisis that could undo a lot of progress. So the first piece of this is that a lot of the job losses from the pandemic were concentrated in industries that have a lot of female workers. So think teachers, nurses, business administration. And the other piece of this is that some women are leaving their jobs, too. Since before the pandemic, two and a half million women have left the labor force. Why would that be? Why why would people lose their jobs? I mean, or leave their jobs? Why would that be? Why might some women be leaving jobs? Some of that could be that they were laid off and they're not actively looking for work right now. Some may have retired, but I wonder how many women left their jobs in light of increased household responsibilities with children going to school remotely, not going to summer camp, and childcare options pretty challenged due to social distancing. And look, this burden of course is borne by all parents, not just women, um, but studies show that it does disproportionately impact mothers in heterosexual households. So BCG did a survey that showed that mothers have spent 15 hours more on average than fathers on education and household tasks during the pandemic. And on a, a more local level, uh, Morning Consult did a survey with the New York Times asking parents, you know, who's bearing the, the brunt of household work and child care during this pandemic?
0: And what about the children themselves? After all, they're going to be the future of the labor force.
1: Yes, they are. And that pool of available workers is fed into by a number of tributaries. And one of those tributaries is students that grow up and get jobs And that stream has been running a little bit dry when you think about the next generation after millennials being a bit smaller than the millennial generation itself. We're also seeing in light of the pandemic that students are deferring college or pursuing more degrees, maybe waiting out the job market a little bit for it to improve. But all of that also hurts potential labor supply and defers it a bit later. And this is compounded by limitations for international students. So with travel and visa restrictions that don't allow these students in during the pandemic, it hurts university finances for one, which are stretched pretty thin right now, but it also reduces another tributary to a mere trickle as those students find it a lot harder to stay in the U.S. after graduation and get jobs. And international students, they are just one small part of that critical supply of foreign born workers.
0: Yeah, as, as one myself, I realize that international workers have been a critical source of labor supply for decades. But is the tide shifting on immigration?
1: That's absolutely true. Immigrants have been a huge source of labor for decades now. And in fact, the overall growth in the number of people who can work, half of that over the last several decades has come from immigration. And that was set to outpace uh, the number of American-born workers over the next few decades. But I think that that's already shifting underway, because what we've seen is immigration really slow markedly uh, just in the last three years. Back in 2016, there were a million new net migrants into the United States. Last year, there were less than 600,000. So again, almost halved in just a matter of a couple of years. That appears to be the result of strict immigration policies of the current administration, and those have gotten even more stringent during the pandemic. So, essentially, there's been four different types of visas that have been suspended since June. And these visas cover high-skilled workers, less skilled workers, um, temporary summer workers, people who are relocating within their company, au pairs, so a broad range of different types of jobs. And this is a bottleneck to our labor supply. And now I know some people might be wondering, well, millions of Americans are out of work. Why can't they fill these roles? Well, the answer to that is that foreign workers are often concentrated in certain industries that are vital to the economy, and without those workers, sometimes businesses can't find enough people, the right people who are qualified, or people willing to do the work. So we do see foreign workers Kind of dominate industries like agriculture, nursing, healthcare, medicine, life sciences. I mean, to the earlier point about working families, if you don't have au pairs coming in, again, that forces some parents out of work. Without agricultural workers, we could see some strains in different areas of food supply. Many areas of the country have seen their hospitals overrun at some point in the pandemic and 30% of doctors are foreign born. And it could have a huge impact on our most innovative industries and companies as well. I mean, think about the technology companies that are leading the world right now. Google, its parent company Alphabet, uh, Tesla, Microsoft, Zoom, all were founded by or are currently run by immigrants. So that begs the question, I mean, what are the companies and technologies of the future that won't be developed here? And of course, it's not just about creating the technology giants of the future. It's about that powerful multiplier effect on the economy that immigrants create. So about 75% of immigrants in 2019 were between the ages of 10 and 40. And that very neatly fills the population gaps that we have. Because immigrants may come to this country ready and available for work with their whole careers ahead of them to build here. They build families here. These families buy or rent homes, spurring home building and home purchasing. They decorate these homes. They outfit these homes. They buy cars to get to and from work. Their children then have their whole careers ahead of them there. They pay taxes. They support the elderly. And with economic growth slowing and the population aging, this is more important than ever.
0: Our population is indeed aging, as the baby boomers, once the largest generation, transition into retirement. How does this transition impact the labor force and the economy?
1: It is a popular misconception that baby boomers will retire and millennials will readily fill the gap. So millennials may be the largest generation alive, but not the largest generation ever, a distinction that is reserved for the the baby boomers still. Um, And the growth of the millennial population going forward is actually very much largely determined by immigration, which we just spoke of, that is slowing, not growing. Luckily, not all baby boomers have retired yet, and some are staying in the workforce even longer. And interestingly, what we saw after the financial crisis is that older workers really drove the employment gains over the last 10 years. Some of it was the fact that those workers may have lost their jobs in the first place, sure, so they're they're coming back in. But even as late as 2019, 41% of new jobs created that year came from workers over the age of 65. But this time around, it could be very different because older workers may be reluctant to go back to work in person or to look for a job if they were laid off because they're concerned about the virus, because it has been particularly dangerous for older people. It could be the case that boomers don't carry the labor market recovery at all this time around. But the impacts of an aging population extend far beyond just the labor market. It's the change in the very dynamics of the broader economy itself. For example, older people are less likely to spend than younger people. So as the population shifts older, that could be a drag on how much we consume overall as an economy. It could spill over into prices, holding down inflation, if prices are not pushed up by demand or the higher wages held by older workers. In the aftermath of COVID-19, the U.S. will have the most public debt since World War II. And the baby boom that produced these baby boomers is exactly what enabled the U.S. to grow its way out of its debt, because people bought houses and cars and appliances and furniture. And when those boomers grew up, they went to work. We won't be able to do that this time around. And in a time with so much debt and high deficits, how does one even consider cutting spending to restore federal finances at a time when their largest generation ever retires and needs it the most? And yet what we've seen from the COVID crisis is also areas like healthcare care changing and the need for healthcare care to change emerge. You know, hospitals were really stretched during this pandemic, and that's highlighted the need to invest even more with an aging population. We need more hospital beds, more medical devices, more medical supplies. We need to continue to invest in pharmaceuticals to develop advanced medical procedures, to re-envision elderly care and nursing homes, so I do think that there still is some opportunity to be had from an aging population and thinking about how some of our industries evolve. The impacts of an aging population are far ranging and paired with slower growth of the younger and middle aged, whether it's due to domestic population trends or immigration policies, may have major impacts on the growth engine of the economy for years to come.
0: Well, thank you, Mira. Those insights are fascinating. Thank you for listening and please tune into our next episode when I'll be joined by Samantha Azzarello, global market strategist on our market insights team to discuss some of the key themes of behavioral finance and their particular relevance in today's financial markets.
2: Please stay on for the following important disclosures. The market insights program provides comprehensive data and commentary on global markets without reference to products. Designed as a tool to help clients understand the markets and support investment decision-making, the program explores the implications of current economic data and changing market conditions. For the purposes of MIFID two, the JPM Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs are marketing communications and are not in scope for any MIFID two, MIFIR requirements specifically related to investment research. Furthermore, the J.P. Morgan Asset Management Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs as non-independent research have not been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research, nor are they subject to any prohibition on dealing ahead of the dissemination of investment research. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or any other purpose in any jurisdiction. Nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples used are generic, hypothetical, and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision, and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications and determine, together with their own financial professional, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be appropriate to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions, and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, but no warranty of accuracy is given and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risk. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements, and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. To the extent permitted by applicable law, we may record telephone calls and monitor electronic communications to comply with our legal and regulatory obligations and internal policies. Personal data will be collected, stored, and processed by J.P. Morgan Asset Management in accordance with our privacy policies at am.jpmorgan.com slash global privacy. This podcast is issued by the following entities. In the United States, by J.P. Morgan Investment Management Incorporated or J.P. Morgan Alternative Asset Management Incorporated, both regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission, in Latin America, for intended recipients' use only by local J.P. Morgan entities, as the case may be. In Canada, for institutional clients' use only, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Canada Incorporated, which is a registered portfolio manager and exempt market dealer in all Canadian provinces and territories except the Yukon and is also registered as an investment fund manager in British Columbia, Ontario, Quebec and Newfoundland and Labrador. In the United Kingdom, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management UK Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and other European jurisdictions by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Europe. In Asia Pacific, APAC, by the following issuing entities and in the respective jurisdictions in which they are primarily regulated. JP Morgan Asset Management Asia Pacific Limited or JP Morgan Funds Asia Limited or JP Morgan Asset Management Real Assets Asia Limited, each of which is regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. JP Morgan Asset Management Singapore Limited, company registration number 197601586K. This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. JP Morgan Asset Management Taiwan Limited, JP Morgan Asset Management Japan Limited, which is a member of the Investment Trusts Association Japan, the Japan Investment Advisors Association, Type II Financial Instruments Firms Association, and the Japan Securities Dealers Association, and is regulated by the Financial Services Agency. Registration number Kanto Local Finance Bureau, Financial Instruments Firm number 330. In Australia, to wholesale clients only as defined in Section 761A and 761G of the Corporations Act 2001 Commonwealth. By J.P. Morgan Asset Management Australia Limited, ABN 5514-383-2080, AFSL 376919. For all other markets in APAC, to intended recipients only. For U.S. only, if you are a person with a disability and need additional support and viewing the material, please call us at 1-800-343-1113 for assistance. Copyright 2020 J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved.